Father, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in thy law. Amen. St. Peter tells us three things about this story on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He tells us that it's not a clever story. He tells us that there's majestic glory, and he tells us that we can be eyewitnesses. If you've ever been to Israel, they believe that this probably took place in, two, in, in one of two locations, either Mount Tabor, which is near Caesarea Philippi, or Mount Hermon. But Mount Hermon's far removed, and it's not a great tourist attraction. You can't take loads of buses there. So many preferred Mount Tabor just because you can uh, take people there better. But if you do, have ever been to Mount Tabor, there is a very windy road that goes up there. And uh, many folks take a taxi up there. They say in Israel that God loves the taxi drivers of Mount Tabor because all those that travel in their car work on their prayer lives on that windy road. <laughs> clever stories. We all love clever stories. Why do you think Universal has made two Marvel movies every year for the past eight years, and they've done 12 of them? Why do you think that Disney decided to make 21 Jedi series movies? And if that's not your thing, maybe you're a bit like Groucho Marx, and you say that you find TV very educational. The moment that it's turned on, you walk next door and you read a book. You're still consuming a story. Stories, we love stories. Because stories put us, they, they put our information into a context. We don't live in a vacuum, and we need our lives to be part of a greater narrative. And you see, in that first century, the Romans had many stories. They had many myths. And let's not engage in any chronological snobbery, but back then, they were just as cynic as we are nowadays. And people were always trying to come up with clever stories, uh, clever myths to tell about the origins of their people group or the origins of how this one man became Caesar. But Peter, writing to the church in Rome, says, we did not follow cleverly devised stories. I mean, look here in Matthew 17. It's not a cleverly devised story by any means. It's got the ring of an eyewitness to it because... You see an awkward situation, and what happens? The eyewitness acts in an awkward way. Maybe you're not like me, but just ask my wife. If I'm in an awkward situation, I often will say awkward things. It's just what happens. And what does Peter do here? He is confronted with the majesty and glory of Jesus Christ, and he's like, oh, let's, 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 let's build some tents. And let's start selling tickets. And you can take pictures and we'll sell season passes and we can make bracelets out of it. I mean, it's like the Disney world of first century. And Jesus is like, Peter, you don't get it. That's not what this was all about. It's not a clever story because if this were a clever story, if you were going to make up your own little religion, you would paint the founders of your religion, or at least the followers of your founder, in a good light. Follow our founder and you'll be less awkward. Follow our founder and you'll get rich quick. Follow our founder and you'll get wise. 
And you don't see that here with Peter. Clever stories. This is not a clever story. It's an eyewitness story. But secondly, we see majestic glory. And what do we see about majestic glory? We see that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain, and he is transfigured before them, and he shines brighter than the sun. I mean, it's reminiscent of what we see there in Exodus 24 where Moses takes his elders and they go up the mountain and they have a covenant meal and they see the glory of God on the mountain. And Moses' face reflects God's glory. But Jesus, unlike Moses, his face does not reflect the glory of God. It is the very glory of God, the majestic glory of God. And you see, we're reading this transfiguration right before Ash Wednesday, right before the beginning of Lent, and this mountain tells us about the glory of God. But there's another mountain less than 47 days later, not in the story, but in our liturgical calendar, another mountain where Jesus will not be displayed in glory, He will be displayed in shame. He will be between two men, this time not Moses and Elijah, prophet and lawgiver, but between two thieves. He will be surrounded by a cloud, but not a cloud of light, but a cloud gray and ominous as He pays for the sins of the world. But that is why in the Gospel of John, Jesus is not depicted as someone in shame on a cross, but He is the King of glory dying for me. We have seen His majestic glory on the mountain. The third thing that we see is that Peter, James, and John are eyewitnesses. They're eyewitnesses of this amazing transfiguration. But you see, the transfiguration is not so much about the transfiguring of Christ before their eyes or before our eyes, but rather our transfiguring before the eyes of Christ. What do I mean by that? Look here at verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. And then Jesus came and touched them and said, rise and have no fear. Who's being transfigured here? They see Jesus in all of his glory, Jesus for who he really is, and it reveals who we really are. But then Jesus transforms these men. They're eyewitnesses. And you may say, well, what does that have to do with me? But the point is, is that the transfiguration is not just reserved for these select three, or even for that select one who will lie on Jesus' breast, the, the Apostle John. It's not even for the select 12, or even for the select 120 on the day of Pentecost, or the select 500 that Jesus will appear to. It's meant for all of us. We are all meant to be eyewitnesses. You see, this Mount of the Transfiguration is, this story is retelling another story in Isaiah 42, where Yahweh says of His divine servant, this is my servant 
my son in whom I am well pleased. Those words transform the servant, and the servant can set his face like flint towards Jerusalem for the road of redemption that lies ahead of him. This is the turning point, if you will, in the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Matthew in which Jesus begins redemption road, the whole season of Lent. That's why it's beautiful that it falls right here. But Jesus wants us to be eyewitnesses. There's the Father who speaks over the Son and says, you are my beloved. But then you'll see there is who theologians sometimes call the Cinderella of the Trinity, or as Gregory of Nazianzen says, the Theos Hagraptos, the God that no one wants to write about, says there was a cloud, the cloud, the very presence of Yahweh Himself, the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is involved in this very event that is happening. But here's another catch. It says that when the cloud went away, and when the cloud went away, they lifted up their eyes and they saw no one, only Jesus. If you've ever been outside this cathedral at nighttime, you'll see these spotlights that shine on the spire. That's a bit of how the Holy Spirit works. That's what He does. He's the Cinderella because He wants you to know all about Jesus. That when He is there, you will see only Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit, wants you to become an eyewitness. In our baptismal words, we say that we believe in God, the Holy Spirit, the Lord the giver of life, who makes Christ known in the world. The Holy Spirit isn't just for Mount Tabor many, many years ago, but He is for right now, and He makes Christ known to us. And just as Moses and the elders went up the mountain and they ate a a covenant meal, we will soon eat a new covenant meal. And after that, you can come to the St. Mary Chapel and there'll be prayer ministers that will be there so that you can afresh encounter God, the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what our prayer ministers are here for you, so that you will see only Jesus. How can I illustrate that to you? One of my colleagues, Canon Bales, um, told me about an amazing restaurant. He said, there's one of the best Korean restaurants I've ever been to. You see, that's knowledge. That's information that you and I have. But then he took me there, and I experienced it. And it went from being just knowledge of this is good food to this is good food. And that is one of the three values that we have here at the cathedral to experience the love of Christ, to embody the love of Christ, and to extend the body, the, the, the love of Christ. We want you to not just know about the love of God, but to experience the love of God. And I'll tell you what, 
That Korean barbecue was pretty good. It reminded me of when I was living and stationed in Korea in 2003. It is really good. But it went from being just knowledge to experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit now, that as we come to this, your table, and as we come forward for prayer, that as your glory comes down, we would see only Jesus. Amen.